We have been studying some key themes in the Old Testament book of Proverbs, and so I'll invite you to turn with me once again to that book, the book of Proverbs, right after Psalms in the Old Testament, and we'll turn to begin with to chapter 30 and read verses 7, 8, and 9. Proverbs 30, beginning in verse 7. Two things I asked of you. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep deception and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion, that I not be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or that I not be in want and steal and profane the name of my God. Father, we need your help just as uh, Agur prays here in Proverbs 30 for your help. We need your help now as we open your word. Grant it to us in the name of your son, we pray. Amen. So we're looking at key themes in the book of Proverbs, uh, topics that the book of Proverbs makes much of, and we've considered what this book says about wisdom, and what this book says about family, and what it says about work, and today we're going to consider what God says to us in the book of Proverbs on the topic of money. It may not seem like the most spiritual topic in the world, but this book has a lot to say about how we obtain money, how we use money, and how we should think about money. And that means that God, who inspired every word in this book of Proverbs, places a fair amount of importance on these things. God places a fair amount of importance on how we obtain money, and how we use money, and how we think about money. And so we're going to hear, Lord willing, what he has to say to us in this book of Proverbs on this subject. And we're going to be looking today at what he has to say to us on this important subject under six main headings. I debated whether I should tell you how many headings, but there you have it. There are six of them. Um, The first of which is this. We need to think from the book of Proverbs about the obtaining of money. The obtaining of money. Now, on one hand, this book, God through this book, speaks of some bad ways of obtaining money. Money, we're told in this book, can be obtained by ruthlessness, chapter 11. It can be obtained by fraud, chapter 13. It could be obtained by interest and usury, chapter 28. And in chapter 1... It can be obtained by theft, robbery. People do make money in these ways or obtain money in these ways. People do steal money, right? People are ruthless sometimes in business dealings. They just regard their own bottom line, not the other person's well-being in this business deal. And so I'm going to charge an arm and a leg because I can. I mean, I can get away with it. Um, Because that's what the person will be willing to pay, supply and demand. So I can be ruthless, and I can make more money for myself in that way. Or I can hold you to a bad deal because you signed on the bottom line, or the dotted line, and 
Um, so I'm going to get paid. People make money by fraud, by deception about what's really going on in this business deal or about how much I'm really charging you for this um, or what you're really going to receive um, for this purchase. People make money by charging interest and by usury, which is charging exorbitant interest. People do make money in wrong ways, and those ways are obviously not commended in the book of Proverbs or elsewhere in the Bible. And three of the four uh, that I've mentioned to you that Proverbs mentions to us come with warning labels attached to them, actually. You earn money in these ways, you're acting foolishly. Chapter 28, verse 8, He who increases his wealth by interest and usury gathers it for him who is gracious to the poor. If you gather your wealth in this way, God's going to take it some way or another out of your pockets and give it to someone who will give it to the poor. Keep that in mind. And then chapter 13, verse 11, wealth obtained by fraud dwindles. You want to cheat people in order to get money? God will see that that money goes out of your pockets somehow or other. And then in chapter 1, there's this section beginning in verse 8 where uh, Solomon is warning his son about those who would uh, gather them into a scheme to rob people for money. And he says at the end of this section, verses 18 and 19, they lie in wait, these robbers... They lie in wait for their own blood. They ambush their own lives. So are the ways of everyone who gains by violence. It takes away the life of its possessors. You want to rob people? You're only hurting yourself and bringing about an early death. So be warned against bad ways of obtaining income. But then notice... The book of Proverbs has a lot more to say about right ways, good ways that income is obtained. I just want to walk you through them. One way that income is obtained is by giving. Did you hear that? Income is obtained by giving to God's work. Chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. You take things out of your barn and out of your vats and give them to the causes of God and God will see that the barns and the wines are refilled. You can obtain income by giving to God's work. And then income is obtained, uh, as we've seen uh, already in this series, by hard work, by diligence. Chapter 10, verse 4, poor is he who works with a negligent hand, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Chapter 13, verse 11, we looked at the first half, wealth obtained by fraud dwindles, but the one who gathers by labor increases it. Money is gained sometimes in an inheritance. Chapter 13, verse 22, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. And the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. We'll come back to that second part. But a good man leaves an inheritance to his children. I heard a pastor recently talking about this and saying how he always liked to go up to his dad and say, Dad, uh, the wealth, uh, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Are you a good man? Uh, so, 
try that on your grandparents or your parents. But wealth can be obtained, gained by inheritance. Chapter 19, verse 14 uh, as well. House and wealth are an inheritance from fathers. Another way that God has deemed for us to obtain income, obtain money, is by wisdom. We saw this already in this series as well. In chapter 3, verse 16, speaking of wisdom as a, as a she, we, we read that long life is in her hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. And in chapter 8, in a couple of places, and also in chapter 4, the same idea. When you live wisely, it tends to go well with you financially. Generosity. We already saw giving to the work of God. Uh, but notice generosity is another avenue of income. There is one, chapter 11, verse 24, who scatters. He scatters his seed and yet increases all the more. Chapter 11, verse 25, the generous man will be prosperous and he who waters will himself be watered. Chapter 19, verse 17, the same principle. One who is gracious to a poor man lends to the Lord and he will repay him for his good deed. When you give to the poor, you're putting hand ultimately in our money in God's hand ultimately and God is giving it to them and God will pay you back. One who is gracious to a poor man lends to the Lord and he will repay him for his good deed. Chapter 22, verse 9. He who is generous will be blessed for he gives some of his food to the poor. Chapter 28, verse 27. He who gives to the poor will never want but he who shuts his eyes will have many curses. God has set it up so that when you are generous, you are blessed. And then notice this. This is important to see. How is income obtained? Giving to God's work, hard work, inheritance sometimes, wisdom, generosity. But then notice that the book of Proverbs says in a couple of places that uh, money is obtained by godliness. Chapter 15, verse 6, great wealth is in the house of the righteous, but trouble is in the income of the wicked. The righteous, God blesses. Chapter 22, verse 4, the reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. Here are some things that will benefit you financially. Give to the work of God. Give to others. Work hard, be godly, have wisdom, and perhaps you'll have an inheritance as well. But then here's an all-important summary statement about obtaining money. It's in chapter 10, verse 22. This is the most important thing this book says about the obtaining of money, and it's this. Chapter 10, verse 22, it is the blessing of the Lord that makes rich. It is the blessing of the Lord that makes rich. So there are, as we have just seen, a number of human factors in determining the amount of money coming into someone's pockets. But ultimately, money, gotten by the right means, is the blessing of God. It comes from Him. It is the blessing of the Lord that makes rich. And what that means is this. 
we should always thank God that the money we have gotten has come from him, if gotten by legitimate means, again, of course. And so, yes, realize that honoring God with your wealth, giving your tithes and your offerings, reaps a reward, but thank God because he's the one, chapter 10, who gave the money that you're giving back to him in the first place, and he's the one, chapter 3, who is rewarding your giving. And then, yes, work hard to bring in income, but thank God for his blessing upon your work because it is the blessing of the Lord that makes rich. Yes, thank your parents and your grandparents for any inheritance that you may get, but thank God because he, here in verse 22, is the ultimate giver. It's coming through them from him. Yes, seek wisdom which brings financial benefits, but thank God who is the giver of those benefits. Yes, be generous and be godly, both of which can reap financial reward, blessing, but thank God who pays out the rewards for these things. It is the blessing of the Lord that makes rich. So that's the first thing, the obtaining of money. But then let's also listen to Proverbs on the losing of money. The book of Proverbs has a lot to say about obtaining money. It has a lot to say about how you lose money or how you keep yourself from getting it in the first place. So uh, do you want to lose money? Be lazy. Chapter 6, verse 11, or verses 10 and 11. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Your poverty will come in like a vagabond and your need like an armed man. Chapter 10, verse 4. Poor is he who works with a negligent hand. Chapter 20, verse 13. Do not love sleep or you will become poor. Chapter 23. Verse 21, for the heavy drinker and the glutton will come to poverty, we'll come back to that, and drowsiness will clothe one with rags. You want to lose money? Be lazy. You want to lose money? Chapter 11, verse 24, withhold what is justly due to another person. There's one who scatters and yet increases all the more, and there's one who withholds what is justly due, and yet it results only in want. If you want to lose money, don't pay your bills. Don't pay your workers what they ought to be paid. It's a good way to lose money. You want to lose money? Obtain wealth by fraud, as we already saw. Wealth obtained by fraud dwindles. If you want to lose money, don't listen to counsel and Don't listen when somebody reproves you. Chapter 13, verse 18. Poverty and shame will come to him who neglects discipline. But he who regards reproof will be honored. If you want to be a person that never makes ends meet, just don't listen when people are giving you wise counsel. You want to lose money? Give yourself to sin. Chapter 13, verse 22. The wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. You keep going down your road of sin, God will take the money out of your pocket and find a way to give it to somebody who honors him. You want to lose money, chapter 14, verse 23. Talk instead of working. In all labor there is profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. Have lots of ideas that you talk about, but never actually work at them. 
and you can lose money that way. If you want to lose money, another way to do it is to make hasty plans. Chapter 21, verse 5, the plans of the diligent lead surely to advantage, but everyone who is hasty comes surely to poverty. You may have experienced that on some level. You rushed into something and later realized it was a bad deal, and you lost a good bit of money on it. If you want to lose money, love pleasure. Chapter 21, verse 17, he who loves pleasure will become a poor man. He who loves wine and oil will not become rich. Spend your money on things that don't last, and you will find yourself losing it. If you want to lose money, oppress the poor. Chapter 22, verse 16, he who oppresses the poor to make more for himself or who gives to the rich will only come to poverty. So if you... If you give to the rich or you oppress the poor, you can lose your money that way. If you want to lose money, be a drinker or a glutton. Chapter 23, verse 21. For the heavy drinker and the glutton will come to poverty. Why? Well, you're spending money that you don't need to spend, number one, and then you're getting yourself lazy and tired by eating too much or drunk and you're not working. You want to lose money, as we already saw, increase your wealth for the time being, increase your wealth by interest and usury. Chapter 28, verse 8, he who increases wealth by interest and usury gathers it for him who is gracious to the poor. If you want to lose money, waste time on empty pursuits. He who tills his land will have plenty of food, but he who follows empty pursuits will have poverty and plenty. He who's out working will have plenty of food, but he who sits in front of the TV, he who plays video games all the time, he who wastes time on any number of other empty pursuits is going to lose money. And if you want to lose money, chapter 29, verse 3, keep company with harlots. A man who loves wisdom makes his father glad, but he who keeps company with harlots wastes his wealth. Now, one way that can happen, obviously, is you're spending money on these harlots. But a a financial advisor one time uh, commented to a friend of mine, uh, or my friend told me that um, when someone comes into him and says, I'm having money troubles, when a man comes to him and says, I'm having money troubles, one of the questions he asks him is, are you being faithful to your wife? Because he looked at this verse and he said there's a principle here. Sometimes they may be obviously losing money on the harlot herself. But there's a principle here where if you want to be unfaithful, if you want to keep company with harlots, God will take money out of your pockets. Maybe to get your attention. And so this financial counselor came to ask men who are having money troubles, are you being faithful? It's a good question to ask yourself. Let me just go through these and ask you if you're doing any of these things. If you want to lose money, be, be lazy, withhold what is justly due, obtain wealth by fraud, neglect discipline and counsel, give yourself over to sin, talk instead of working, make hasty plans, love pleasure, oppress the poor or give to the rich, be a drinker or a glutton, increase wealth by interest and usury, waste time on empty pursuits, keep company with harlots. Are you doing any of these things? These are good ways for you to lose money or to never get it in the first place. These are good ways 
to use words from Malachi to put holes in the bottom of your purse or in your pockets. The book of Proverbs has a lot to say about the obtaining of money and about the losing of money. And then thirdly, let's hear from Proverbs on the use of money. The use of money. How does this book commend that we use our money? Well, it does mention, by means of the example of the Proverbs 31 woman, the investment of money. Because we read about that excellent woman in chapter 31, verse 16, that from her earnings... She plants a vineyard. Maybe these are the earnings that she has gotten from her clothing business later in the chapter, verse 24. But whatever the case, here's a woman who's earned some money, and now she's plowing it into an investment. She's plowing it into a vineyard, which will either produce food and drink for her household or maybe more earnings from the sales of the grapes or the wine or both. So that's one one use of money that's briefly commended here in the book of Proverbs, investing it into some worthwhile project. But while Proverbs commends investing our money, it has a lot more to say about giving our money. That's the main thing that Proverbs has to say about how you use your money, is to talk about giving it. And that's the second thing, still under this heading of the use of our money, and that's the main thing. Again and again and again, God commends The use of your money to give it away. Listen to chapter 21, verse 26, the second half of the verse. If I can find it, sorry, these Proverbs sermons are doing a lot of flipping pages. All day long he is craving, here he's talking about the sluggard, but then look at the end of the verse. While the righteous gives... And does not hold back. So do you hear it? Giving is a sign, it's a symptom of righteousness. The righteous is the kind of person who gives and does not hold back. And then back in chapter 11, verses 24 and 25, these verses that we heard earlier, there's one who scatters and yet increases all the more. And there's one who withholds what is justly due, and yet it results only in want. The generous man will be prosperous, and he who waters will himself be watered. So he says it in statement form, and then he gives two examples. The generous man will be prosperous. That's the basic statement, right? And then he pictures it as a man sowing seed. He's scattering seed, and God's going to put more seed in his barn. And then he pictured as a man who's going to his neighbor's farm and watering that man's vegetables for him and God's going to make sure it rains on his property. So giving is not only a symptom of being righteous, chapter 21, but giving will be rewarded, chapter 11, verses 24 and 25. There's motive in both of these cases to give. You show that you're right with God when you give and God rewards you when you give. And then Proverbs also speaks to the issue of to whom we should give. It commends giving, but it speaks to whom we should give. These verses that I just read to you speak of giving generally, and surely there are many possibilities as to whom we should give, but there are at least three objects of our giving commended specifically in this book. One of them, 
I touched on already, and I'm not picking on you grandparents, but it's here, and so we have to cover it, uh, and it'll, it'll be helpful to you. One object of giving that's specifically mentioned is our grandchildren, isn't it? Chapter 13, verse 22. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Now, chapter 19, verse 14, assumes that fathers will often leave uh, inheritance to their children, but chapter 13 here specifically commends giving to your grandchildren. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. So think about that, grandparents, and potential future grandparents. But then a second object of giving commended in this book, and this is by far the most spoken of, is the poor. Proverbs speaks over and over about giving to the poor. Chapter 14, verse 21, happy is he who is gracious to the poor. Chapter 14, verse 31, he who is gracious to the needy honors him, meaning honors his maker. Chapter 19, verse 17, one who is gracious to a poor man lends to the Lord. And he will repay him for his good deed. Chapter 22, verse 9. He who is generous will be blessed, for he gives some of his food to the poor. Chapter 28, verse 27. He who gives to the poor will never want. And then in chapter 31, an excellent woman, verse 20, extends her hand to the poor. And she stretches out her hands to the needy. And did you hear in those verses all the motives that are given to us? Did you hear what God is saying to us to move us to give to the poor? Chapter 14, happy is he who is gracious to the poor. 1431, he who is gracious to the needy honors his maker. Don't you want to honor your maker? Give to the poor. Do you want to be happy? Give to the poor. Chapter 19, verse 17. One who is gracious to a poor man lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his good deed. Same thing in chapter 28, verse 27. And then chapter 22, verse 9. Blessing comes to he who gives to the poor. He who is generous will be blessed, for he gives some of his food to the poor. And that could be the same idea of repayment, in the same kind that you gave, God will repay you. But it could just be a reference to blessing in general. You might give to the poor and God will bless you in some other way. God will bless your marriage to be better than it was. Or God will bless your studies to be better than they were because he is honoring your faithfulness to his word in giving to the poor. So think about this. The main use of our money that is commended in the book of Proverbs is giving. And the biggest thing that is said about giving is giving to the poor. How can I, how does God want me to give to the poor? The poor that I meet or know personally? How does God want me to be gracious to the poor in our city? How does God want me to bless the poor in the wider world? What would God have me do in generosity toward the poor? How do we use our money? Invest it, yes, give it to your grandchildren, to the poor. And then as we saw early on, Proverbs commends giving to the cause of the Lord's work. Chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Honor the Lord from your wealth 
and from the first of all your produce, so your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will overflow with new wine. The picture here in Old Testament terms is people bringing in their gifts to the Lord at his temple for the work of the temple and the work of the priests in the temple and the work of the Levites in the temple. Giving to God's work is what Solomon's talking about here. For us in the New Testament, it's bringing in of our income and giving it to the work of the church and to the work of the missionaries sent out from the church into the world with the good news of Jesus. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. In order to make that Old Testament temple system go, it took goods and money, right? The priests needed to eat, the Levites needed to eat, the offerings needed to be offered up, there needed to be um, things bought for use in the temple and so on, things repaired. It took goods and it took money to run that Old Testament system. And it takes goods and money to make the church go, right? And it takes goods and money to get the gospel out to the ends of the earth, doesn't it? And here's the thing. While God owns all the money in the world and can recall it to himself anytime he wants, he's chosen to steward it out to the likes of you and me. He's chosen to put it in our bank accounts, in our pockets, in our wallets, in our purses. He's chosen to steward it out to human beings who are to intentionally choose to give part of it back to him for the sake of his cause in the world. We are to honor the Lord from our wealth and from the first of all our produce. Not because God needs it. Not because God is desperately going, please, please, we're, we're really tight on our budget. But because God is God. And he's the one who's given you the wealth. And you should give it back to him in thanks and in honor for him. And because he stewarded it out to you to see what you will do with it. And as with giving to the poor, God promises blessing upon those who give to his work. Honor the Lord from your wealth, verse 9, and from the first of all your produce, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. The picture is, here are these people that are bringing in money to the temple and they're bringing in the grain that they've been saving up in their barns and they're bringing in the wine that they've stored in their vats and they drop it off in the temple and they give it to the Lord and they go back home and they find that the next growing season, God blesses those vines that their grapes are growing on and their vats are full again. And God blesses those fields that their wheat is growing in and their barns are full again. And the way it looks for us, most of us, I don't think any of you are bringing grapes or wheat, um, but you bring food to the pantry and God will put food in your pantry. You bring money to serve the church or to serve the cause of missions. And God sees to it that your bank account has enough every month. Believe me, I'm not preaching on this because I'm begging for your money. God has blessed us for years and years and years not to have financial trouble here. I'm preaching it to you because God says, do this and I'll bless you. Do this and you will honor me. And notice that word honor. 
Honor the Lord from your wealth. God's not trying to get the money from you so much as for you to show that you honor him, that you love him, that he's important to you, that his cause in the world is valuable to you. So I urge you to follow through on this, my friends. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. So the obtaining of money, the losing of money, the use of money for investing and giving to grandchildren and the poor and the Lord's work. And then also we need to notice that Proverbs has some things to say about the value of money. The value of money. Now on the one hand we find statements like these which declare that money can be a help in certain situations in life. Chapter 10, verse 15, the rich man's wealth is his fortress. Chapter 13 Verse 8, the ransom of a man's life is his wealth. Chapter 18, verse 16, a man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. Chapter 19, verse 4, wealth adds many friends. So Solomon is telling us money has its earthly advantages. There can be social advantages. Wealth adds friends. There can be advantages in terms of opportunity. It can bring you before great men. There can be advantages in terms of when you find yourself in difficulty. Money can be something of a a fortress and a ransom for your life. The value of money. But on the other hand, listen to these powerful statements about money's value being only relative. Only relative. Chapter 16, verse 8. Better is a little with righteousness than great income with injustice. Chapter 19, verse 22. What is desirable in a man is his kindness, and it is better to be a poor man than a liar. Chapter 22, verse 1. A good name is to be more desired than great wealth. Favor is better than silver and gold. And chapter 28, verse 6, Better is the poor who walks in his integrity than he who is crooked, though he be rich. What is money's value? Well, yes, it can make friends. It can bring opportunities. It can get you out of some difficult spots. But money is not as valuable, chapter 16, as righteousness and justice. Better is a little with righteousness than great income with injustice. Yes, money can do a number of things for you, but it's not as valuable, chapter 19, as truth-telling, verse 22. It is better to be a poor man than a liar. Money can be a valuable thing in many ways, but not as valuable as your reputation. A good name is to be more desired than great wealth. Money's good for a lot of things, but it's not as good as your integrity. Chapter 28, verse 6, Better is the poor who walks in his integrity than he who is crooked, though he be rich. Take these things to heart, my friends, and determine what you value accordingly. The value of money. Then also, just quickly, several warnings regarding money. The book of Proverbs is filled with warnings regarding money. Chapter 22, verse 7, the rich rules over the poor and the borrower becomes the lender's 
slave. The borrower becomes the lender's slave. Think about that before you borrow money. I'm indenturing myself in some way to this person. I'm making myself beholden to this bank. The borrower becomes the lender's slave. That's a warning. Chapter 22, verse 26, another warning. Do not be among those who give pledges, among those who become guarantors for debts. Don't co-sign someone else's loan, the book of Proverbs says. Chapter 18, verse 11, another warning. A rich man's wealth is his strong city and like a high wall in his own imagination. Now, we just saw in chapter 10 that wealth can be a fortress. And I think Solomon meant that in in an honest way. There's a way that wealth can protect you. But here he's saying it can only protect you so far. And if you think it's your ultimate fortress, your ultimate strong city, your ultimate high wall, you're just imagining things. You're just kidding yourself. Money is not the ultimate answer. And along similar lines, chapter 11, verse 28, he who trusts in his riches will fall. There's a warning there. Chapter 20, verse 21, another warning, an inheritance gained hurriedly at the beginning will not be blessed in the end. An inheritance gained hurriedly at the beginning will not be blessed in the end, presumably because if you gain it uh, quickly, you don't appreciate it. Keep that in mind, parents and grandparents. So there's something to temper you, children, when you, grandchildren. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, Grandpa. Well, yes, but Grandpa says an inheritance gained hurriedly at the beginning will not be blessed at the end, so you're going to have to wait. Um, Chapter 27, verse 24, another warning. Riches are not forever. It's pretty simple, isn't it? pretty obvious. You can't take it with you. We all know that. Live like it. Riches are not forever. There are things that are forever. Souls, human souls are forever. The praise of God will be forever. The word of God stands forever, but your money doesn't. Value it accordingly. And then here's a warning, chapter 30, verses 8 and 9, those verses with which we began. We'll come back to them again to get their main point, but there's a warning here about money. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion, that I not be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or that I not be in want and steal and profane the name of my God. Here are the warnings. If you have all the money that you need and more, you might deny God. If you become rich, you might find yourself denying God, presumably because you'll tell yourself that you have in your bank all that you need. And if you live in the ways that we talked about that lead to poverty, you might find yourself stealing and denying God. Don't be poor if you don't need to be. Don't find yourself in a place where you're tempted to steal. Money or lack thereof can cause you or tempt you to sin. And then there's this great warning 
in chapter 11, verse 4, and this is the most important thing I think that we can read in the book of Proverbs on the subject of money. So get this one well. The last warning. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. There is a day of wrath coming. There is a day coming when you will stand before the judge of all the earth, when you will stand before the holy, holy, holy God and face his judgment. And chapter 11, verse 4 tells you, you won't be able to buy your way out of hell or into heaven. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath. You might in this life find yourself being able to buy your way out of some situations. Remember, we were told that wealth can be a ransom for us, but not before God. You cannot buy your way into God's kingdom. It will not be riches, but righteousness that will deliver any of us from eternal death. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. And the point of the verse then is pursue righteousness, not riches. Pursue that which will deliver from death, not that which will not. Pursue righteousness, not riches. But here's the thing. You don't have of yourself the requisite righteousness to deliver you from death. And neither do I. You have not obeyed God perfectly so as to escape the wages of sin and deserve the reward of heaven. And neither have I. There is none righteous, not even one, Paul says. There's not a righteous man on earth, Solomon says in another place, who always does good and who never sins. But praise God that for all who will repent of their unrighteousness, repent of their sins, and trust in his righteous son, the righteousness of that son, Jesus, is credited to our accounts. The righteousness of that son is given over to us and treated as our own, as though we had lived as righteously as him. Praise God that he made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. And praise God that everyone who believes, though he or she will never be righteous of him or herself, everyone who believes on Christ has in Christ the necessary righteousness credited to his or her account. God wipes your unrighteousness off the chalkboard and writes in the righteousness of Christ. It's not that he makes you righteous so as to live out a righteousness that can earn heaven. He does change your heart and you begin to live more righteously, but you'll never be perfect. But Christ's perfect righteousness is treated as though it were your own. And in that sense, it is your own. And it delivers from death. Have you trusted Christ? Have you become, as Paul puts it, the righteousness of God in him? If not, let today be the day. 
Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus and his righteousness will deliver you from death. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. Five things so far. The obtaining of money, the losing of money, the use of money, the value of money, some warnings regarding money, and then finally, the right attitude toward money. Proverbs speaks to our attitude toward money. And it speaks to it in chapter 23, verses 4 and 5, when it says to us, Do not weary yourself to gain wealth. Cease from your consideration of it. When you set your eyes on it, it is gone. For wealth certainly makes itself wings like an eagle that flies toward the heavens. We saw earlier that riches are not forever. And here Solomon says it in even more poetic fashion. When you set your eyes on it, on wealth, it is gone. For wealth certainly makes itself wings like an eagle that flies toward the heavens. So just like you set your eyes on a bird and then suddenly it is gone, so it is with wealth. You ever experienced that bird phenomenon that Solomon is describing here? You set your eyes on a bird, an eagle in this case, maybe a bald eagle flying over the church building, and you see it, and then it's gone over the trees. You Maybe you wish you could have gotten a little closer. You wanted to admire it just a little longer. You could have taken a picture of it to show your siblings so they would believe you. But then for one reason or another, it just, it just goes. It takes off. It takes flight over the trees, and it's gone away. And wealth, Solomon says, is... Just the same. When you set your eyes on it, it's gone. For wealth certainly makes itself wings like an eagle that flies toward the heavens. And the upshot is a certain attitude towards wealth. Our attitude toward wealth ought to be, therefore, not to weary ourselves to gain it and to cease from our consideration of it. In other words, don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. In fact, Solomon says, stop thinking about being rich. Which probably includes the idea that being rich ought not be your goal. I wonder if that convicts anyone. I wonder if there's anyone who's been listening who has been overworking for the sake of becoming well-to-do. Or someone who is thinking a lot about getting wealthy. Or someone who has made being rich your goal. Your attitude toward money needs to include this attitude toward being wealthy. Do not weary yourself to gain wealth. Cease from your consideration of it. When you set your eyes on it, it is gone. And then lastly, under this category of the attitude, our attitude toward wealth. Notice in chapter 30, that passage with which we began, this man called Agur, the son of Jacob, teaches us about the appropriate attitude toward money in verses 7, 8, and 9. Two things I asked of you, do not refuse me before I die. Keep deception and lies far from me. That's the first thing. And then the second has to do with money. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion, that I might be full, and deny you, and say, Who is the Lord? 
or that I not be in want and steal and profane the name of my God. Isn't that good advice or good prayer, which becomes good counsel? Lord, he's saying, if you were to make me rich, I might deny you. I might begin to trust in my money. But on the other hand, Lord, if you were to make me poor, I might dishonor you by stealing. And I don't want to deny you. And I don't want to dishonor you. So make me neither one of those things, Lord. Just make me middle of the road. Make me middle class, so to speak. For your sake. That's what our song that we're going to sing teaches us and the song that we sang before the sermon teaches us. That Christ is our treasure, we sang. And we're going to sing, Lord, you are more precious than silver. Lord, you are more costly than gold. Both of those are saying, God, you're, you're the treasure. You're better than money. And that's what's in the heart of this man. He doesn't want to dishonor God or deny God on account of money. God is more important to him than money. Make that true for yourself. Make Agur's prayer your own. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion, that I not be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or that I not be in want and steal and profane the name of my God. 